On this episode of Bleak, Laura will be covering the horrific murder of Nicole Halpin. I, Amanda, will be covering the heartbreaking and mysterious disappearance of Leanna Warner. Buckle your seatbelts, it's about to get bleak. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, so, you know, the Nicole Halpin murder is one that really kind of strikes a nerve because it's something that if, if this happened to any woman, I mean, the, just the horrific, um, nature of the crime is just enough to just make the hairs on your back stand up. I have never heard of this murder and i as we said last week watch a ton of true crime and i've yeah. never i don't know like a, one even one thing about it other than the fact that this poor gal was murdered so so um so i had heard of the case i, I had read a little bit about the case just in my true crime um and then i discovered they did a death calls investigation discovery on it so i did watch that um and uh, it was it was the it, the it was pretty good it was pretty good um, they covered most of the um, the information so um, so here's here's what happened so Nicole's a 32 year old divorcee she has two sons um, a nine year old and a seven year old. Um, the nine-year-old uh, is is disabled. His name's Max. He's had brain surgeries, so he's got some um, brain issues going on. The communication issues, you know, trouble um, speaking, etc. Then there's seven-year-old Drew. No problems there. Um, and by all accounts, she was just this kind of upbeat, positive mom, always trying to um, help the the disabled son try to figure out kind of what what could make his life better and what would help him. Um, so by all accounts, a really good mom. Um, she divorced her, her husband, her, you know, previous husband. They had a really good relationship. Um, uh, by all accounts, they were trying to co-parent and, uh, make that work. And there's nothing, you know, strange about that that relationship actually um i guess you could say what was strange is how well they got along for a recently divorced that's uh, the way it should be though <laughs> right it should be but in this case they they really were making it work and they were really uh there you know didn't seem to be any issues or jealousies or anything like that so um so about a year after she divorced her first husband or her husband um nicole meets uh a gentleman by the name of justin porter they have been dating a few months things were just kind of starting to get serious justin really was kind of enamored with her um it seemed um and um <clears throat> that particular night she and justin were out on a date with the sons they all were at a restaurant together nicole drops uh, Justin back at his house. She goes back to her own house. Um, and all of the sudden, um, 
Nicole needed to said she needed to call him. She just said, "Oh, I I need to call you. Something's going on. Like I feel uncomfortable. Something's weird." Um, so she get she calls Justin right after she had dropped him off at his house, and I guess he lived maybe about 15, 20 minutes away. Um, she calls and he's talking to her on his home phone, his landline, um, on her cell phone. Um, and what year was this? This was 2004. So he's, okay. So being on a landline wouldn't be that unusual. No, not at the time. Yeah. Got it. She had a cell phone. He had his landline, um, at the time. And so he hears a scream. He hears, uh, suddenly hears a scream. Um, and all he's hearing is this muffled, like, blah, 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 screaming. And so, of course, he calls the police. He's on his landline, but then he gets his cell phone to call the police so he can stay on the landline with her and still call the police. So he calls the police, and they're like, what's your emergency? Um, he says, my girlfriend is on um, my other line, my landline, and she something is really wrong, like something has happened. Um, and, and they said, okay, what's the address? He gives the address. And of course they're, they rush to the address. The police just run over there fast as they can. Um, but (laughs) they open the door and, you know, bang on the door and it was the, turned out to be the wrong address. But the thing about it is the girl that lived there, the female in the household, its name also was Nicole. Oh, jeez. And it turned out Nicole was arguing with her parents at the time about her boyfriend. Like, she's a teenager. This is a different Nicole. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what are the odds of that? And so they're, of course, stunned. Like, we're just, you know, having a little tiff with our teenage daughter about her her boyfriend. I didn't know the cops needed to be involved. You know, they're like, the dad's like, but we've cleared it up already. He's like, he's like, this is, you know, you, oh, you guys no. can leave now. We've cleared this up already. So then they're confused. They're like, what's going on here? Da, 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 da. Well, then it gets figured out. He's like, you know, they ask him again, are you sure that's the right address? And it wasn't the right address. It was the wrong address that he gave, but it was close. And it turns out, and when they're standing there in the front lawn trying to figure this out, the family actually knows the other Nicole. You know what I mean? So they knew, they all figured out what house to go to, and they're like, oh, that's this Nicole, you know. So they go to the right house, and um, at first they're banging, 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 and no answer. No answer at all. Um... And then they just, you know, start banging more. Eventually, they kick the door in. The children uh, are terrified to come out to police. They, they, you know, there's the child with the communication issues. He can't, you know, speak. And then the seven-year-old is is terrified. They don't, they don't want to come out. They've been hiding. Um, And so the police, um. They get to the house knocking, no response. The sons are scared to come out to police. Uh, Max, uh, the older son, has blood on his shirt, and which turns out to be mom's blood. Uh, police are searching the house. It's quiet. They found mom breathing, but, but head down. Beaten in the head and the face. Just beaten, you know, just beaten beyond, 
you know, words. So they rush her to the hospital. Um, and the, the younger son, the seven-year-old, had to give the description because he doesn't have communication issues. Um, and what he, what he said is kind of a synopsis of what I had said before. They were at dinner with Justin and Mom. Um, she and the kids dropped Justin off. Um, they come home. She's like homework for one son needed to do homework. One son, she said, go play video games. Um, she went to her workroom computer. All of a sudden they hear mom scream. Um, and she run and she runs from the computer room to her bedroom. And what they see is what the, the younger child sees and is able to explain that a man with a bat is, right behind her like nobody entered like there's so he just had been waiting there, yeah yeah hypothetically so, right right so there's just a man with a bat everyone's woman's worst nightmare i know, I know. just it happens to be in you know just in your house um and all they hear is all they 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 hear is that she t uh, they nicole told the kids to go to the bathroom and hide and and then she told she said you know don't hurt my kids, knowing that she was about to get it. The man had a ski mask on, but the child said it was a wolf mask. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. and they think that was because of you know psychologically the the man was a the a wolf. You know what I mean? A bad guy. So he saw it as this big wolf mask, but it was really a a, a ski mask. Um, so. So yes, mom gets beaten. The man with the the bat closes the door. You know he leaves. He just leaves. No words. Just beats her with the bat, and just take and then just leaves. They hear the door shut. So of course they run to their mom. So it's not sounding like a robbery <laughs> no, at this point. No, no. And um, so, um. Justin, the new boyfriend, then, is arriving on the scene. You know, when the police are in there, Justin's arriving on the scene. See, like, okay, I just want to say something. I'm okay. suspicious uh -huh. of Justin. Okay. However, I can't explain how he could be on his landline calling the police. However, he could be lying about being on, yeah. He, being on the phone with her. Right. But then they would be able to also prove that he's on the phone with her. Right. So, I don't know. I'm just a little hesitant on this Justin guy. The Justin dude? Yeah. At this point. But. Yeah, and what he says is what she had explained right before everything happened is that, so she gets home. She's on her computer, right? She notices in her chat box that someone sent a message to Justin that said HB. HB. Yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> I don't know. But it was like 10 minutes before she got home and Justin looked at it and he goes, that's way too soon for her to be home. And he's like, you're home already? You know what I mean? He sent her a message. So obviously the intruder did that somehow. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that strange? Like, yeah. Yeah. And so then that's why she felt uncomfortable because she's sitting at her computer and she realizes someone has chatted to Justin 
before she w- was whole. Okay. So that's I was she- wondering about that. Okay. Yeah. So that's when she was like, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. I need to call him. You know, I need to get oh, on the okay. phone with Maybe him. Maybe he's not involved then. <laughs> yeah. So she calls him right away and she's like, this is really weird. You know what I mean? Like she wasn't overly like yeah. terrified, but she was like, this is really strange. I mean, I guess if she had a cat or right. something, that right. would be and, the one. And they didn't, they ne- never they've said never that. said in any um, article or in, in the show, they never have said. So yeah, she thought it was really weird and she felt kind of, you know, when you get that spooky feeling. Yeah. So she's like, I'm going to call Justin. Well, her instincts were correct. Yes, <laughs> yeah. they were very correct in this Unfortunately. case. Yes. Okay, so now Justin is being interviewed as the initial first suspect. Of course, he's the current boyfriend. And he gave the initial wrong address. So, of course... Could have been intentional. Right. They're thinking that that could be... That's suspicious. Um, so, ultimately, with cell phone records... They were able to, and landline records, they were able to uh, eliminate him as a suspect because they were able to see that he was indeed definitely at home at the time this happened. So he's okay. eliminated. Uh, but the police think it's someone close. Like, who who comes all dressed in dark, you know what I mean? To, and their motive. That's right, what what's I'm, the motive for yeah. this? Why would somebody do this? So, of course, the next person up is going to be the ex-husband, Donald Helpin. Donald. Donnie. Um, he, you know, they they go tell him the news. Of course, he's concerned for Nic- the Nicole, of course, initially, but then very concerned for the boys, um, you know, as he has custody, you know, also custody. Um, and he's, he's, seems very genuine. Uh, then he explains to them they've been married eight years. They have jo- joint custody. We're co-paying well. They check co-parenting his well. co-parenting, <laughs> co-paying, co-parenting well. Um, and then they check his alibi. His alibi, totally solid. He was where he said he was at the time. Uh, and he passed a polygraph test. But he failed one question. And this and this is happening over a period of time. Okay. Um, in the meantime, they they're interviewing him. Um, unfortunately, she's in the hospital and she passes away. So two days later, she passes away. Um, you know, brain death, and it was a very sad process. They had to pull the plug, and the boys had to be informed that you know what I mean. Like they, the what a t- terrible just, loss for the kid with the issues. Right, thirty-seven Especially. brain surgeries. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, nobody's gonna care for him the way his mother did. No, nobody, nobody, and that's what's so awful about this is is why. What's the what's the reason? Um, well, the it so was he, failed, he failed only one question, and it was, "Do you know who harmed Nicole Helpin?" Like he passed, like I, you know, did you harm her? No, did you know? Right. Did. Da, da, da. But the one question was, do you know who harmed Nicole Helpin? And they said, you know, what's the deal with this? And he said, well, no, I don't know who harmed her. But I, you know, like everybody I has some, I have an idea. And they're like, who? They said, well, she had this boyfriend before Justin Porter for a period of time who just was really kind of the jealous type and just kind of a... um seemed like a little bit of bad news you know what i mean but she really liked him 
uh, but she eventually broke it off with him. But then she said, and his name was Dan Welch, and she said, um, you know, he had kind of after the breakup, you know, wanted to get back together. And of course she's like, no thanks, you know, <laughs> moving on. I found a new guy. Yeah. And so they, of course, interview Dan Welch. Said he heard what happened on the radio uh, to Nicole. Uh, he said, you know, he feels really terrible about it. He's got, you know, she's got the kids and he really likes, you know, really likes the kids. Uh, but he said he's moved on with a new girlfriend named Sophia. Um, and they, and he also has an alibi, uh, that he was helping a neighbor that he helps every night train for this marathon where he rides on the side of his, he, his, you know, the, the guy runs and he like rides on the side of him or something like that and tries to, you know, go farther, whatever (laughs) he's like helping him train. Then he does this every night and they were able to sort of, um, you know, mostly corroborate, corroborate his alibi. Um, so then they go <laughs> uh, to, oh, oh, he's sorry about that. He also has a hand injury, uh, but he explains that by saying he's an HVAC employee, frequent hand injuries. Uh, and then he explains that from 8 to 9.30, he was on the phone with Sophia that night. The murder happened at 9.50. Um, so 20 minutes later, but then he was helping this person train for this marathon. Um, he was helping him that late at night outside. Yeah, yeah he did this every night, apparently. Okay. Well, it's so, Florida. It's nice out, probably. Yeah, yeah. And so they give him, of course, a polygraph test. Fails miserably. <laughs> um, could mean which could, something and could not. It, well, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Well, who knows? Yeah. Um... So <laughs> they go to Sophia and they, they say, um, you know, do you, is this what happened? Were you on the phone with him? la da 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 She says, um, I, I would not call him my boyfriend. She was really put off by the fact that oh, he said. That's a red that, flag. Yeah, yeah, like that. She said, you know, I slept. It was the kind of thing where like maybe I slept with him once, but it wasn't. You know, and, and we hang out once in a while, and he calls once in a while, but definitely, you know, not my boyfriend. <laughs> but he's saying it as if, like, they're together 24-7. Like, well, that's my yeah, that's a red flag girlfriend, sure. you know, total girlfriend. And this is who we're talking about again? Just so I remember Dan. Is this it? is, um, his name is Dan Welch. Dan Welch. Dan okay. Welch, yeah. So this Dan Welch character, he's 37 years old. She was 32, so a little bit older. Um, has this Sophia, this girlfriend. Um, and she said... This kind of girlfriend. This kind of girlfriend. He thinks it's a girlfriend. She's like, no, not his girlfriend. She said that that night he did call her, but he sounded really, really winded. Like, super winded. Like, she thought it was really odd, and she said, what's going on there? And he said that he had just moved some tools, so he was really, really winded from that. Um, and then, uh, at the end of it, um, not the end, but at the, sometime during the interview, she remembers in his dresser, she saw a ski mask and thought it was really weird. Like she slept over at his house and saw the ski mask and is like, huh, 
that's really an odd thing in Especially Florida. In Florida. In yeah. Florida to have in Here, your dresser. It might not it's be like something so weird. she just kind of made a mental note of, like yeah. ski mask in the dresser. In Minnesota in January, yeah. that wouldn't be that weird. <laughs> right. In Florida at any time, really. It was January, strange. but still. It's still Florida. Yeah, <laughs> it is still Florida. Why do you need a ski mask at any time of the year? Yeah, and where do you even get one? Am- I mean, did they even have Amazon at the time? I know eBay. Um, so <laughs> she mentions, oh, by the way, I saw a ski mask. So, of course, that's, you know, for the police, it's something to note. Um, and then so the police say, would you be willing to record a conversation with the two of you? Um, and, of course, she says yes. Um, and she asks him about the ski mask. He says he doesn't know what she's talking about. Um and it sounds like he might suspect that they're surveillancing the call. Sure. Like, she didn't do a super fabulous job um, in the call of making it sound nonchalant. She's like, hey. Just wanted to call just, about that ski mask. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, she wasn't. Not everyone's <laughs> cut out to do that kind no, of thing, unfortunately. No, she definitely wasn't. Yeah. She's really not good at it. Um, and, of course, you know, they stop right away and then. They, they're like, okay, we're going to follow her, keep a tabs on her, because if he suspects they, they're talking, she's talking to him, he could hurt her too, you know. So at the end of it all, he's not, he won't admit it. He's been interrogated for hours. He's not admitting it. There is no physical evidence. So he was wearing gloves He was then? wearing gloves, a ski mask, the whole dark... Out completely black, dark outfit. So there's no physical evidence. Okay. And so as time goes on, um, you know, the case goes into kind of a colder phase, but there's still... Lukewarm. Lukewarm phase. We'll call it a lukewarm phase. And they're still kind of, you know, seeing what they can figure out. The, the, her, Nicole Halpin's mom is very, um vocal about having her daughter's case solved. Um, and so finally this, um, kind of the secretary woman, um, re-listened to the police call and he says, um, and he said, Nicole, calm down. And you can hear it really kind of faintly in the background. He said, he said, he's, they hear the words. She hears the words Nicole, calm down. Nicole, calm down. You know what I like mean? Like he's with her? Yeah, like the person who's going to beat her with the bat. Yeah, knows her. N- knows her, but is talking to her because this was recorded through... <laughs> this is what gets me. This is recorded through the boyfriend's cell phone, through the landline... They're picking oh, this up. Oh, sure. Because he so was on the phone with her at right, the time. Right, right. So it was crazy that they could pick up anything, much less that. So they hear someone as if to say to her, Nicole, calm down. Right, right. Which, which would be the perpetrator. The perpetrator knew her then. Right. And so they're getting, they're trying to clean this up, you know. and the audio, um, yeah. The audio. And eventually it was cleaned up so well they got his family and his and different friends of theirs in, and they all confirm every single one that it is his voice. 
His meaning? Uh, Daniel Welch's voice. Okay. 100% they're like, nope, that's him. You know? <laughs> like, Some people just have that kind of voice. They do. Very distinct. You, know? you must have a really distinctive voice. Um, but it was crazy to me that his landline picked up through the cell phone to the police. You know what I mean? Those words. Her um, calling somebody solved the case. Right. Probably. Right. Assuming this guy really is. We don't know yet. But if he was the perpetrator. Right. Then that would be the case. And so after that, with all the compiled um, different, you know, eventually they were able to, um, you know, between failing the polygraph, which I know that can, that can happen, but then his alibi kind of fell apart a little bit with the timelines of when he was doing what, um, as well as the... Um, everybody's saying that his voice, voice was in the the vid. And when the, your in... own family is saying that's you, <laughs> right? that's tells you something about his character. When <laughs> right? your family's not like trying like to his help you, sister. Yeah, yeah, his sister said, "No, that's him. I'm sorry." Well, I mean, <laughs> it's hard. To... What are you gonna do? It's right. a horrible. It's not like it was like he, you know, was like a self something sketchy like self-defense or he accidentally shot someone this is like beating someone to death it's a horrible you know thing i would probably have to turn in my family member too i would too i mean if a baseball bat especially to the skull yeah especially if it was there was it wasn't like an altercation right i can see hiding in the person's house and waiting like it was someone who has really hurt hurt them in the past. I don't know. I just can't think of many scenarios where that would, you'd let that go. You know what I mean? So yeah, but they do. Everybody turns them in. They're like, no, no, this is, this is his voice. Um, so this is a long time. So on May 18th, 2007, he is arrested. He ends up pleading guilty, uh, on a plea deal because they didn't want to put the boys through a trial second degree murder never gives any type of explanation that is frustrating (laughs) yes yes super frustrating no explanation i mean no explanation he could give would ever you know justify it right but i still think clearly there was something that caused him to be so angry right and unless he was just one of those guys it's like if if i can't have her no one can right and that's that's what they kind of said is in jail you know, that was kind of the deal is that it sounded like he had said that he had to do it. He felt like he had to do it, but he definitely, he loved the boys. He didn't want to hurt the boys. So, I mean, thank God for that. So you're, you're, you're standing there with a baseball bat mm-hmm. about to, to beat the crap out of this lady, this yep. woman that you love, and you're telling her to calm down? Right. Nicole, calm down. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, excuse you got me? this bat. Yeah, and, and you're in a ski mask. She might not have even at first known who it was. And the thing is, and he was hiding in the closet, too. So she's just home, like, I'm on my computer. I wonder how he got in the house. And he just, and they were trying to figure that out. They think they figured out the door he must have come through. I don't know if maybe he still had a key. I suppose, or, or she had a code, a garage code right, or something. Right, but they didn't, there was nothing looked. No forced entry. There was no forced entry of any kind, so. 
But he got in, and to her, nothing seemed weird except yes. for that message. PSA, yeah. everybody, garage codes, change them often. Yes. Yes, good idea. Be Just because things like this can happen. Especially if someone go- is going in and out, or out of your life, or you have, you know, you date a lot or something like that. You Right. And even if you don't, it's still a good idea. It's still always a good plan. Yeah. Yep. And that's what he, and so what it, what it ended up, they pieced together what had happened and he did help that person, um, do his marathon training really late at night. Okay. That was his alibi. Yeah. So he's on, he's on his bike. So the guy's running and he's on his bike. His like his, I don't know if his bicycle or his, I think it was a bicycle. So he's riding his bike on the side of this guy and, um, you know, the guy leaves or whatever, and then he gets on the phone with the girlfriend sounding... Or no, that was later on. So no, he's riding the bike on the side of the guy. And then within 20 minutes, he's ridden the bike, because he did it on a bicycle. He rode the bike to Nicole Halpin's house, murdered her with a bat. So I don't know if he had this stuff with him, but he did it within 20 minutes. He let the guy go at 9.30. Well, if he, if he got into her house beforehand, he might have just found whatever weapon he could find. Right. But I don't know how he had this. friend would have been like, he had a bat with him, so that wouldn't have Right, where did he find the bat? He probably got the bat out of her house. Probably. I wonder if they ever determined that. But then to have the ski mask, well, I mean, he could have put that in his pocket, but he's dressed in all black like a... I mean, he probably figured, you know, started looking around, because he was probably in there... She wasn't home, right? So he he was in there for some period of time before she got back. Not long, yeah, because he had only been there for up to you know, he had left that marathon guy about twenty minutes earlier. So the whole thing was really like out of the blue. But like, if one of her sons he... played baseball, they could have had a bat like in the oh garage yeah, it or... must have been. It uh, had to have been. Yeah, there's no way the guy. Otherwise, the marathon guy would have been like, he had a bat with him, and I thought that was really strange. <laughs> right. And it exactly. wouldn't have been a, you know, It would have question. been a little quicker yeah. arrest on that. And it was funny, too, because he said, he, he'll he plead, he said to the, the it sounds like to the um, attorneys that, okay, I'll plead guilty to second degree just to save the boys from the trial, because I really love the boys. He himself put that out there you so yeah you're willing yeah, yeah, to take their mother away from yeah, them but he, and he said he he just had to do it like something came over me and i just had to do it so anyways that is that what that story really bizarre though that the they, things that it, came together to yeah. solve that case and the fact that they don't know his motive nope. to this day nope wow mm-hmm. he's never said that's crazy yeah, I mean they they assume obviously it was jealousy. She moved on. Yeah. He didn't. He thought he. I don't know. He had his fake girlfriend or whatever, but he hadn't really moved on. Clearly, no. And he wanted her back. I mean, that's pretty. Yeah, that that's, I mean, that's not the way yeah. to do it though. That doesn't usually work. No. Baseball bats in like closets. I mean, a that's real <laughs> psycho. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Okay. Well, that's... that was actually. I mean that. Uh, it's a terrible, horrible story, but it was very. It just goes to show it, it, those ones with no motive really are freak freak me out right. quite a bit. Right, right, because it could be anyone. I mean, you know. Was... All right. So, 
I'm going to jump right into it here. Okay. So I'm going to be doing the unsolved disappearance of Leanna Warner, which... That's a good case. Yeah. Laura so was sad. familiar with it. Now, I had never heard of this, which is really? crazy because... Apparently, so everybody knows of Jacob Wetterling. Yeah, of course. Apparently, a lot of people know of this one, too, because this is a Minnesota case. Mm -hmm. Up until I saw a documentary on it, kind of out of the blue, I had not ever heard it covered on a podcast. I had never heard a person talk about it. Nothing. It was completely new to me. Wow. So, it sounds like it's not completely new to you, so... No. You can tell, you know, put in, chime in your two cents here, but... Yeah. um. So, this is the disappearance of Leanna Warner. So, uh, in 1996, Leanna Warner's parents, Chris and Kaylin Warner, got married. And they had both been married before. So, I'm just going to give a little background on her family. At the time they got married, they both had children under four. And then they decided to have Leanna to, you know, together. So, they both brought kids into the marriage and then they had Leanna together. So, Leanna was their only child together as far as... I could tell. Um, so then they had four kids total in that house. But it sounds like at the time of Leanna's disappearance, only two children were living in the house. So it was Leanna and then her older sister, Carly. And Carly was 10 years old at the time Leanna disappeared. Okay. Her name is Carly Chandler, so she has a different last name than the Warners do. So it must be her mom's daughter. Mm -hmm. So Leanna was five years old at the time of her disappearance. She was described as fearless, loved girly things like princesses, but also loved being in the woods with her dad, you know, digging in the dirt, spunky, outgoing, and loved everybody. This description reminded me a ton of my own daughter, who's almost four. Just the talking, willing to talk to everybody. And it comes up later that it might have been to her own detriment in this case, the... We, we don't know, but, you know, just kind of... Some kids are really shy, some kids are really outgoing, and some are in between. It sounded like she was just, like, super outgoing. She would talk to anybody. So, in 2003, um, that's when this crime occurs, or we, we don't know that a crime occurred, but it's pretty... There really are not any other options other than a crime occurring, but they didn't really know that initially. So the family moved from Hibbing, to Hibbing, Minnesota to Chisholm, which wasn't very far away. A lot of people live in Chisholm because they work on the Iron Range. Mm -hmm. And the Iron yeah. Range is an area of Minnesota that has iron ore mines. And so Chris Warner, the father, was working on the Iron Range. Right. And he also was a volunteer for the ambulance service. And this community of Chisholm is also situated on Longyear Lake, which is just a couple of blocks from the family home at the time. Right. So the dis her disappearance was on Jan June 14th, 2003. It was a beautiful summer day. It was a Saturday. Mm -hmm. And the family had been living in Chisholm for only three months at that time. Mm -hmm. So that morning, the mom and I, I watched interviews with the mom, and she said they had made plans to go garage sailing. And they shopped from the morning until like 1 or 2 p.m. And then they went to one of, the mom's name is Kaylin. They went to one of Kaylin's friend's houses that also had kids. And they swam and had a barbecue and then came home. I'm not certain if they went to the lake that day. That kind of comes up later. 
um, hmm. as being, you know, something that could be important, but it it didn't really say. I couldn't find anything if they knew for sure if they had gone to the lake that day, but they did swim and have a barbecue and come home. Right. So it could have been a pool, could have been the lake. Um, so when they arrived home, the mom, Kaylin, says she thought it was about 4.30. Now, this is back in 2003. Mm-hmm. I yes. don't... I think I had got my first cell phone maybe in like 2002. Right. However, it wasn't like it is now where you have it in your back pocket at all, mo- mm-hmm. you know, all no. the time. Yeah. So not knowing exactly what time it is might. And I say that because there's a little bit of question of was it really 430 or was it a little bit later? Right. Um, at so, the time, we're not looking at clocks all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, not like now where we're pretty, we can be almost pretty accurate about time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Kaylin, mom, is unloading the car. And according to Kaylin, Leanna was adamant that she wanted to go say goodnight to her friend. So, I, initially, I was questioning this because I was like, so you find out later that the mom says, you know, you can go visit your friend, but you have to be back by 5.30. And at first I'm thinking, that seems like a really short visit, and it just seemed a little weird. But then I rewatched the interview, and actually she said that it was, Leanna just said I, she wanted to say goodnight to her, so it was just like she was okay. just going to go over there real quick. Goodnight. And apparently this, so it was the Quirks house that she was going to, the Quirk family. Right. And this, uh, these are kids that she played with almost on a daily basis. Right. She walked to that house all the time. So in order to get to the Quirks house, she had to go to the end of her block and then turn a corner and then go to the block behind them and also possibly had to walk through an alleyway. Right. So my first question, of course, like a lot of people, is you're letting a five-year-old walk somewhere out of your sight. And I, at first I was a little, I'm not going to lie, I try not to judge parents because I'm not perfect myself, but it just, that's not a decision I would make today. Now, however, could I say back in 2003, Mm -hmm. if I was a mother living in Chisholm of a five-year-old, would I have made that decision? Maybe. Right. I can't say that. And I can say from the time, you know, when my eldest is... 23 years old and so she was born in 1999 and I will say that at that time her crossing the alley in the back wasn't a big deal whereas now things have changed they've you know uh, become more uh, dangerous or people are more aware I think or how, people are you more wanna, aware of whatever it. you however you want to put it that I would not make that same decision now and it's just the the parenting norms have changed the laws have changed even as far as at what age a child can uh, do these things so yeah so mom tell so her her uh, sister Carly also asked to go see a friend. So it was kind of mm-hmm. like they'd just gotten home. Mom's unpacking the car. I think she wanted to start making dinner. So right. she was probably like, I can go make dinner. They can go off to their friends and right. then I'll, they can come back for dinner right. type of thing. Now, well, wasn't that kid like 10? She was 10, yeah. Okay. The other kid. And Leanna was 5. Okay. So mom tells both girls to be back by 5.30. Now, that was out of Kaylin Warner's mouth. She said 5.30. Because one of the podcasts I listened to, and there's, well, I could only find one that covered it, and it's a reputable podcast, said 
Because they questioned, because they said that she told her to be back in 30 minutes. And they're like, well, how does a five-year-old know what 30 minutes means? Right. But according to Kaylin, out of her own mouth, I heard her say it in the interview, she said she told them 5.30. Okay. Um, so there's a little discrepancy, but it's hard. Not necessarily mean right. anything. Right. All right. So it 5.30 rolls around, and... Carly comes back, but Leanna does not. And at first, the mom really didn't think much of it. She sends Carly to the Quirks house, and she's like, hey, go get your sister. So Carly goes over there, and nobody's there. So she comes back home, and she says, Mom, the, no, the Quirks aren't home. Nobody's there. Right. And uh, so then Mom is still not super worried but because she, right. she has a lot of friends in the neighborhood. Right. So she, mom goes over there with Carly to, you know, look for herself. And the quirks are not home, but the mom finds Leanna's shoes in the front yard. Oh. So it seems like she had been there. Oh. So she call, goes back home, calls the quirks, and the quirks verify they had been gone all day. Oh. So, because one thing that, bothers me a little bit about this story and I and I'll say this right now I don't suspect the parents in this at all sure for various reasons but it bothers me that like if there's a chance the people might not be home right. then you're putting your kid in a situation right. where then they so they're walked there alone and then they have to walk back alone right. that's a lot of time like alone and not in your sight right and that's like I said I'm not saying I wouldn't have made that decision back in, in small that day. Town, Minnesota. Yeah. But yeah. it's, you know, I think in high, and this mother has to live with this every day. So she, right. she's been punished enough, but I, I don't know that. I mean, that just seems but like it, it, she maybe right. just didn't think it through very well. Right. And I think it, this is one of the cases, you know, that points to why things have changed the way they have. Right. It's not right. like this happens all the time no. it really doesn't mm -hmm. it happens enough that you need to be aware of it but right. it's not the most common crime no so even at this point kaylin's like i wasn't super worried i figured she probably got distracted and started playing with like another kid right um at this point you know minnesota in june stays light until about 9 15 p.m yeah so it's not like it's getting dark quite yet at this time so the mom goes back searches her whole house to make sure she's not anywhere in the house searches the park the lake she's like at this point then after she's done all these searches she's starting to get up like worried right so she calls her husband who's out on an ambulance run at this time oh there is a ambulance they call it a run sheet for right. 6 20 p.m showing he like logged into a run so right. they can verify that the dad was doing that was working he was working yeah. um so they send Carly out on her bike, the 10-year-old, mm -hmm. to, like, ride around the neighborhood. Carly describes, you know, she's bawling her eyes out, just yelling, trying to find this girl. Right. So law enforcement was not called until 8.30 p.m. I found that to be Three a little hours. questionable. Uh -huh. The other... A uh, few weeks ago, my almost four-year-old and my 12-year-old went out, and they went outside without telling me, which they'd never done that before. Right. I was ready to call the police after not being able to find them for, like, ten minutes. Right. Oh, yeah. So, now, yeah. granted, this is a different time. Right. But, you know, different scenario. But it, I still... 
because I had looked. It was they were outside, but I just kept missing them. Right. So I had, so when I heard that law enforcement was wasn't called for till that long, I thought that was a little strange. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. It just seemed like a, a late to get them involved with a five-year-old child. It is. I don't think it it means anything. I just think they thought, well, we're searching. They're going to find, they just really thought they were going to find her somewhere at someone's house with someone she knew. Yes. So by (laughs) this point, it's 8.30 p.m., the cops are called, and they, this is another case that they, uh, a lot of people say they handled well. You know, there aren't a lot of criticisms of the police in this case either. Right. Um, At the time of her disappearance, Leanna was wearing a denim dress with a belt. She was wearing... Now, here's another weird discrepancy. And the the only reason this becomes important is because when you're talking about footprints... Right. In the documentary I watched, the mom said she was wearing shoes when she left the house, and then they found her shoes in the front yard. The right. podcast I listened to and several news articles said she was barefoot. So then the question becomes, how did her shoes get in the front yard? Right. So one scenario is that she was carrying them and barefoot and mom didn't notice See it. See that, yeah. Otherwise, it could be someone planted them there. Right. right. Now, the one thing I will tell you, are there are two witnesses that saw Leanna approach the Quirks house and knock on the door. Two separate witnesses. Okay. And her shoes being there really say that she did make it to their house. Right. And then, so one of the witnesses was a neighbor across the street. He said he had, um, the dog was outside. After Leanna saw the Quirks weren't home, Leanna approached the dog to, like, play with it. Right. And he went to put the dog on the chain because he didn't want the dog to, like, jump all over her. Right. And this neighbor um, said that it was about 5.15 when that that happened. Now, this is where that 4.30 time gets bizarre because if she walked over there at 4.30, the neighbor, it it doesn't take 45 minutes to knock on someone's door. It's a two-minute walk. Right. Give or take. Maybe a little longer for a child. So even if you say a five-minute walk... Why is this guy seeing her at 5.15? They do say the timeline is a little bit murky all around. It probably was just the mom was a little bit mistaken on what time it was. Right. But, because that's a big, forty. it shouldn't take 45 minutes for her no. to walk there, discover they're not home. Now, we don't know, did she go in the backyard and inquire, like, right. to see, well, are they back there? Did right. she maybe, like... Try knocking again, you know. Right. Think she'd been there before, and yeah. Then she w- was good walking home, and she's like, oh, "I'm gonna try one more time." Exactly. <laughs> so they don't. Of course, nobody knows that. It, it's unfortunate, you know, that ring doorbell cameras were not a thing back then, because right. that would have been extremely helpful. Yes. So they start a major investigation, like right off the bat. It's a five-year-old, five-year-old child. They were not able to issue an Amber Alert because the criteria for an Amber Alert requires that you know an abduction occurred. Right. And they, they, but they still treated it basically the same. I had right. read that they had faxed out information of her disappearance to like 8,000 agencies and businesses wow. in the state. Wow. So they, they really took it seriously. They did an organized ground search and rescue squad came in. Um, they had a bloodhound and they actually traced 
her scent to a dock by the lake. And then they found these muddy footprints. So at first, everyone's like, oh my gosh, she drowned in the she lake. Drowned. Yeah. Now, and that was, you know, that definitely is a possibility. But she had been there before, hadn't she, that She day? had been to the lake, and not even just that day. Her sister says, hey, like, not only, like, she didn't say this right away. Right. So, of course, that was their first concern. So they spent a lot of time. I had read, this was not in the documentary, but I did read that they drained parts of the lake. Oh, wow. And there's really pretty much no chance that she's in that lake because okay. we're not talking about the ocean here. We're just talking about a lake. Right. It does get 30 feet deep in some areas, so it's not like a puny lake. Right. But it definitely is not, you know, something that you couldn't, They weren't you know, able to... they could exclude that she was there eventually. Right. So there was no sign of her in the lake, and they, at first... The footprints they thought were a big deal, and then they realized those probably were older footprints. Okay. That's what I was going to say. She had been there recently. So the parents hold a press conference, and, you know, at this point, they're they're just desperate. They're devastated. In the footage I saw of them, they looked just like they were... It was looked genuine to me. Um, so sad. I mean, she, I can't imagine. She was three feet tall, about 50 pounds at the time of her disappearance. Um, so how old would she be now? I would should have done that math. She would be, she I was think born she was... In, she was born January 18th, 1998, so she would be about 24. 24, yeah. Um, she, my 23-year-old, my, my <clears throat> uh, the reason why I knew about this case was because it was in the news and you, you'd hear about it, but she looked just like my 23 year old. I could totally see that. Yeah. So we would get looks and stopped. People would stop and be like, she looks just like that, that Leanna Warner. And we would say, no, no, this is our child. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. It happened several times. I'd say five or six times. So, um, that definitely is something that sticks out in my mind. And then when I saw the picture, um, yeah, definitely looked like Zoe. So <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. But, yeah, she would just be a little bit older than Zoe. And she could still be alive. Right. So that's right. why I bring it up because, we, you know, if you're looking for a deceased person, then she would be a child's body. Right. But if you're looking for a live adult, you're talking about a 24-year-old. So Right. So about a month after her disappearance, they start looking into the local sex offenders. Yeah. The, it was funny. I don't want to copy other podcasts, but the one I listened to called it the Perv Roundup. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was that pretty accurate. Pretty funny, though. yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, they, the old... they start realizing that a lot of sex offenders live in Chisholm. Now, Ooh, they... This part gets a little clouded because I he- heard on the documentary that there were 130 oh. registered sex offenders in Chisholm, which is a town of 5,000 at the time. That, that's one in every... <laughs> right. I'm like, wow, that's, that's horrifying. Way too many sex offenders. But then I also town. heard it. they were talking about like Chisholm and the surrounding areas. That seems more likely, I'm hoping. Right. But the mother even said on this documentary, and this was done a year ago, so it's not that long ago, that there were 130 sex offenders in Chisholm, and she was shocked by that. (gasps) 
So they mm. obviously need to check all of them out. Right. Like and what type of sex offenders are we None of them about? were level three, which is okay. the, the worst kind. Well, still. But yeah. even so, anybody right. that would do anything like that to a child is sick, sick. in my yeah. opinion. Um, so a month later, the police, after the disappearance, the police get a tip about a man named Bruce Christensen. So now I'm getting into suspects here. Yeah. There's a, f- a few that are notable. Um, so... Kaylin and Chris, the parents, happen to be at this bar, and this Bruce Christensen, who is kind of a local drug dealer, burglar, mentally unstable, just not a great guy, threatens to kill Kaylin at the bar, oh. and um, he just is, it ends up being arrested for terroristic threats that day. Oh. So they were looking into him. And they just couldn't find anything concrete. Were but they friends or no, not at all. Oh, he, or they like, just happened to be at the bar. They happened to was? be at the bar, and he just started like it was almost like he knew about the girl's disappearance and started like pushing their buttons. Oh, so, so that's just a creep, creep. Yeah, alert. just not a great yeah. guy. I mean, no. why would you do that to somebody? Right. So <laughs> now they did look at the parents very you know, extensively. The parents were very cooperative. They kind of knew, hey, we need to be excluded just like everyone else. Right. So they took a polygraph. They both passed. They had alibis. The other thing is the other older 10-year-old daughter, Carly, was there the whole time. So it's like she would have to be lying and acting and making and going along with this. That just seems extremely unlikely. Right. That you know, at some point she wouldn't break early on. Right. Like, so I, it just really seems unlikely. It to the, and I personally don't believe the parents are involved at all. Oh, sure. um, they, they did say, leading up to her disappearance, she showed up at home one day with a case of Barbie dolls that her parents had not given Leanna. Oh. And so the parents are like, huh, what's, you know, where'd you get those from? Yeah. And she goes, I got it from a little old lady, and I'm going to bring them to my new family. Her new family? And apparently she mentioned this new family on two occasions. So then, of course, in hindsight, her mother was saying, you know, I wonder if someone approached her to, like, get her ready for it. And was like, you know, hey, you're going to be moving in with, like, a new mom and dad or whatever. Right. So just an odd thing and who gave her those barbie dolls because if say somebody it wasn't innocently like from the gave, quirks or something right or... they well of course if that was the case the quirks would have come forward and said oh we gave her these barbie dolls right but they never and have. they never did okay. so and to this day nobody has said they gave her barbie dolls interesting so that's you know that's problematic for sure yeah now this other suspect i really think that this is really plausible as a guy named Matthew Curtis. So when they were doing the sex offender Canvas inquiry, whatever, whatever you want to call doing. it, yeah. um, they talked with this guy named Matthew Curtis and they actually had interviewed him kind of more as a witness because he had lived a couple houses down from the Warners. And they ended up getting a search warrant based on statements he made in his interviews. And they did find child pornography on his computer. Okay. So he was arrested for the child pornography charges, of course. And this happens a lot where they, you know, sex offenders kind of go unchecked and then something happens and then they end up, you know, finding things and they arrest them. And it's not necessarily related to the case that they're working on, but it 
you know, they it gives them a reason to, like, look into them more. Right. So that seemed like what was the case here, because they didn't find, like, anything specific to Leanna, like, on his computer or anything like that. But he lived only a few houses away. Oh, wow. And he was 20 years old at the time. Leanna's mom described him as being not social, creepy vibe she got from him. And um, a quote from Matthew during his interview, he said, if I were to do something like that, you would never find her anyway. Oh, geez. So that's a weird thing to say. That's a very strange So he's awaiting this, this trial for, or hearing rather, for child pornography. Right. And a couple days before he's supposed to go to court for that, he's found lying dead in a gravel pit. <gasps> Three individuals found him, and so I don't know what they were doing there, but he had a plastic bag over his head, and they somehow determined it was suicide. Um, They said there were no footprints or tire tracks at the scene, and that was how they... But then I'm thinking, well, what about the footprints of the people that discovered him? Right. How do you put a plastic bag over your own head and then not... while you're struggling open it you know what i mean i don't understand people have done it you you would think of all the ways though that so here's yeah here's the problem with this Mm -hmm. yes he could have easily once he knew he had to go to court for child porn charges he could have easily been like i embarrassed right um been like felt like his life was over at that point and you know, I think it's pretty telling that it was a couple days before he was going to go to court. Right. But it could have been that he was feeling guilty about Leanna Warner. Right. And having done something to her. And unfortunately, we'll never his know. secrets yeah. kind of die with him. So to me, it's like, if this is the answer, this case probably will never be solved. Right. Unless he told somebody something and they have never said something. Right. I, Which, why wouldn't they after he died? Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yep, he's for dead sure. now, so why wouldn't you? And they and they did say they like he had a truck and they thoroughly checked his truck. However, this is in September. Leanna was because they made it like oh we excluded him based on you know his truck had no blood, hair, fibers. Whoa. But you're talking about what is that? June, July, August, three months after her right. disappearance. So he had plenty of time to really to clean up that clean vehicle. That. So yeah. I don't know that that really says for sure. So in who knows he did it with a vehicle. If he lived right, right. there, he might have. I just personally think it's most, in most likely somewhere. because nobody saw anything. They would have had whoever did it had to have done it very quickly. Right. Because it's like no one saw anything other than right. seeing she her in front scream, of the scream. She didn't. The, right. The, you know. Nothing. No one heard a gunshot. Nothing. Right. Um. Not that they would have necessarily shot her right there, but. Um, so in September of that year, the family went on the Montel Williams show and I just want to tell you, I think Sylvia Brown is a disgusting person. She told Leanna's parents that Leanna was dead and they, the mother Kaylin said they were not prepared that they were going to be told this. Wow. And the mom just said, so 
if people don't know, if you're familiar with Amanda Berry and the Ariel Castro. Oh, yeah, yeah. Her yeah. mother was told that Amanda Berry was dead and Amanda Berry was not. Right. And Amanda Berry's mom struggled with alcoholism and all kinds of issues. And she believed her. Right. She believed Sylvia Brown. And she ended up dying young. Right. And... Because she thought her daughter was, was dead, dead and she couldn't and handle it. Right. So the one thing I'm going to say about this, though, is as a parent of a child who is missing, to agree to go on a show with Sylvia Brown on it might not be the best idea either. But you she, kind of put yourself a little bit out there. I agreed, but she made it sound like Kaylin when I listened to her on the interview yeah. That I don't even know if she knew for sure. Like, I think it was presented to her more like, we're just going to, like, give your daughter's case some publicity. I don't think oh, she sure. even knew there might be a psychic there. Right, right. Which I'm open. I mean, in my case, not my case, I don't have a case, but if I did, I think I'd be open to psychics and all kinds of you know, whatever they, whatever could help. You know yeah, what it I depend- mean? I, like, I mean, maybe when you're desperate enough, but then I would also take what they said with a grain, a of, grain salt. of salt. A grain of salt. And psychic. I think oh, the family yeah. needs to be told, like, this is what's happening, and if they don't want that to happen, then they, they no. should be able to refuse it. Right. And we, be- But we don't know if that's what happened. You know what I mean? Well, that's... Like, I'm, I'm just telling what the mother said. What the mom said. Yeah. yeah. And, and she does seem pretty reputable, so... Um, so, Kaylin described that... At her, as her breaking point after the Montel Williams show. Right. She said she's had, you know, horrible anxiety, depression, understandable, completely. Well, of course. Yeah, I don't know that I'd ever recover. Yeah. One thing people bring up is something that, you know, could suggest that the mother has, like, a violent disposition is after that appearance on Montel Williams, Chris and Kaylin got into a domestic dispute and Kaylin apparently tried to run Chris over with her vehicle, and oh. she was actually charged with a crime. Chris did not oh, want wow. to press charges, but it wasn't his choice. Right. And she did say, you know, we were in just a really horrible, dark place. Right. And we were just having a really hard time. And she goes, since that time, I have sought therapy and treatment. Anybody would. Yes. Yeah. After this, the family hires... You know, so the case has gone cold now for a couple of years. It's still being investigated, but there's no really no new leads. They hire a private investigator named Bob Heels uh, in mid-2004. So this was actually about a year after. He started looking into maybe like a black market adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, you know, I was... Human trafficking. Very, yeah. yep, very realistic about what, you know... He, he said that he thought it was likely that she was deceased. However, it's not impossible that she could be alive. Right. Um, he kind of, they redo an entire search. So this is a year after the crime. S- kind of start from scratch, do everything over again, and it really pretty much leads to nothing. Right. So then in 2005, so you're talking two years after the kidnap, or maybe kidnapping. Yeah. Um, Joseph Duncan mentions Leanna Warner in his blog. Now, if you do not know who Joseph Duncan is, Joseph Duncan broke into a family's house. So he's just a monstrous child predator. He broke into the Grony family's house Uh and murdered the, like, a brother, 
and the parents. Mm -hmm. So one child and the parents kidnapped two children and ended up killing one of the children while they're out on the run. And then he had horribly assaulted the girl Shasta Groney. It was this big thing. thing. And so he writes this blog and he mentions Leanna and he says, Mm. you know, I heard that this girl was abducted from Chisholm, Minnesota and he references the date. And Mm. then he says, I'm trying to figure out where I was on that day because I'm worried I'm going to be accused of it is basically what he says. So, of course, that's like a big Why red flag. Why would you be, of all places, in Chisholm, Chisholm Well, Minnesota. he has a Minnesota connection. This guy kind of drifted around the country. Well, yeah, I know He that, was but... actually charged with exposing himself on a playground in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. Oh, so that is close And by. the oh, judge somewhere. gave him, like, a slap on the wrist, and this is part of the reason why he was able to continue. The, the judge in Detroit Lakes was awful and, like, basically didn't do anything was it his first offense no he actually when he was 16 he sexually assaulted a boy and went away into juvenile detention so he's been committing child crimes since he was 16 so they saw he had this long child crime rap sheet and then they're like oh go expose yourself okay well now the other podcast i listened to on this was like saying they don't won't exclude Joseph Duncan unless God himself says that he, right. he didn't, he do, didn't it. do it. Right. But cause he's done so many, right, he's just a horrible man. Yeah. I mean, he's just a sick, sick guy. Shasta Groney is alive by the way. They found her at a Denny's with him. And although she had a lot of struggles, she is alive and doing well at this point. Yes. But anyhow, um, so Joseph Duncan, they had to clear him. He apparently right. was cleared. By coworkers because he was working at and there was some kind of oh. of uh, like office event that day, oh, wow. and he ha- so he had this GPS device in his vehicle, and according to the FBI, he had multiple stored waypoints in his GPS, and apparently these are even better than GPS coordinates. Oh, so they were able to see everywhere he went and. Between other employees saying that they saw him that day in North Dakota. Okay. And these GPS coordinate, not coordinates, GPS waypoints, they said he just really couldn't have been there. Okay, sure. But it is odd that he would just bring this up in his blog. Yeah, that is odd. I mean. <laughs> yeah. What, what type of blog was he doing? He was doing a blog. It was for people that were like openly sex offenders that thought it was okay to have sex with children. Oh. Let's whack this cocksucker and be done with it. Like, he has all these blog posts about... Yeah, he's just... he's. I mean, I've heard of him, and I know he's a very sick man, but I didn't know he ran a a blog about... that. I Like, he openly, like, would say that, like, it's okay to have sex with children, and that the fact that society is so against it like i mean he's just a, a, a looney tunes well he's put away or yeah he's yeah he's uh, he he died in prison oh okay yeah that's actually yeah okay so yes he's no longer with us thankfully okay. but um so kind of the last little thing that happens in this case as far as suspects is bruce christensen the man we mentioned the first guy yeah who had um made the comments to the family in the bar yeah and then got arrested for the terroristic threats so he's in jail at this time, and oh. he kind of out of nowhere says, you know, he he tells one of the officers 
that he was involved with Leanna Warner's disappearance and that he knows where she's buried. So, of course, they have to look at that seriously. He was in the area at the time. Right. So he says her burial site's in Hibbing, Minnesota. So they actually bring him out, obviously, in handcuffs and stuff to Hibbing. Now, something that you learn later on, or that I learned later on, is he was facing an additional 30-year sentence because he killed a fellow inmate. So after they searched this area that he says she was buried thoroughly, they end up finding a cat buried there. (laughs) And he confesses that he lied and he just wanted his last cheeseburger and cigarette to get out of jail. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So it it seems like it wasn't him. And that's, suspect-wise, those are it, those three guys. I think the only one I could see as being the most plausible is the guy that killed himself. Or supposedly killed himself. Right, but then where where's the body? Where's the evidence? And so right. that's where it And gets he was tricky. interviewed soon after the crime right. occurred. So then you're like, how did he hide so much stuff? Right. And I mean anything's possible. There's you know, he could have made a concrete you know, who right. knows. But I don't know. To this day, it's an active investigation. And anyone really is a suspect. Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone who was in the area at the time is a suspect. The family left them. They don't live in Chisholm anymore. They just kind of had to start over as much as they could. They still go on shows and try to keep the case going. And there are age progression photos of Leanna on the Missing and Exploited Children Mm -hmm. of America website. And if you have any information, contact the Chisholm, Minnesota Police Department. Yes. Yep. And, um, you know, you just, in cases like this that are so cold and um, there's never been a body found, you just always have that last glimmer of hope that, you know, that... Well, Jacob Wetterling was kidnapped in 89. And right. they, fought, they solved that case. They solved it. We want it solved, but that last glimmer of hope that she is out there somewhere. She, you know, somebody saw her and they wanted her for their own and they raised her. You know what I mean? There's that, then she's okay. The mother said, you know, I and of course, uh, parents are going to want to... Right. They're probably going to have more hope than the average person. Right. But her mom said, you know, I feel like parents know when their kids are no longer with us. And she goes, I've never had the feeling like she was dead. Wow. So. Let's cross cross our fingers, I guess. We may never know, you know, but we hope. hope We hope to. We hope they, for the family, get them some some closure, you know. Yeah. Either way, good or bad. So that is all for this evening. Yes. Thank yes. you for listening. We hope you enjoyed. We're still, I'm still working out the kinks. I know this is my first uh, go at it. And um, uh, as I go along, hopefully it'll get better. <laughs> I thought it was great. So thank you to all a good night. Good night.